0: We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Imtiaz Poppet. A crucial tension across many different areas of activism and organizing in the last few decades has been between approaches that focus on a single, narrow experience or issue or struggle versus approaches that work through the many different ways that different experiences and issues and struggles are interconnected. Usually, when the focus of activism and organizing is singular and narrow, it ends up largely being the most privileged people involved in that struggle who benefit. The most privileged workers, the most privileged women, the most privileged queer people, or whatever the case might be and it is more often people whose experiences of oppression are multiple and complex who have no choice but to make sure that their struggles for a better world are likewise. Some of the most important articulations of this kind of politics came from radical African-American lesbian feminists in the 1970s and 1980s, and black feminist scholars a little bit later. It is unfortunately common in our current moment for the language of intersectional analysis to be taken up without the substance, or for it to be used in ways and contexts that abandon the radical core of the politics from which it emerged. At the same time, however, activism and organizing that try to grapple with the complexity of oppression and resistance can take a lot of different shapes. There are no simple answers, and it can look really different depending on its location, its focus, its participants, and its goals. Imtiaz Poppet is a therapeutic counselor who lives in Vancouver, and he's been involved in a range of grassroots initiatives that may appear to be quite different, but that all involve bringing people together across difference to challenge diverse and interlocking oppressions. Poppet got started in this work close to 20 years ago via a group called Salaam Queer Muslim Community, part of a cross-country network of groups under the banner of Salaam Canada. It's not a religious organization, but rather a way for queer and trans Muslims to come together and build community across the different intersections of racism, Islamophobia, heterosexism and cissexism that they face. In Vancouver, Salam started out with a focus on social events and mutual support, and over the years has become more involved in advocacy-supporting LGBTQ newcomers to Canada, and in challenging the racism and Islamophobia that queer Muslims face within mainstream queer communities. A few years ago, pop was instrumental in bringing Salaam and other groups in British Columbia together into a two-spirit and LGBT people of color alliance. The most immediate goal of the alliance was to support the demands of Black Lives Matter as they challenged the ways that mainstream Pride events and mainstream LGBTQ communities often marginalize queer and trans black people, indigenous people, and people of color. They also work to push back against the corporatization of Pride and its long drift away from its roots in protest and politics, and to organize alternative events to both challenge and augment mainstream Pride. The last few years has also seen a sharp increase in the most overt forms of racism and bigotry across the board. Three years ago, the KKK began openly organizing in Vancouver, and more recently groups like the Soldiers of Odin have become more prominent. Again, Poppet played an important role in bringing together a range of groups and individuals into the Coalition Against Bigotry Pacific. The use of the word bigotry in the name is meant to capture the breadth of the group's work. It's not only about opposing racism, but also sexism, heterosexism, xenophobia, transphobia, and so on, and indeed, Poppet sees a close link between, for example, the rise of white nationalist groups and the recent upsurge in explicitly anti-trans organizing, even if some of the latter happens under a banner that proclaims itself feminist. The group recognizes the need to focus on the more covert, insidious, and systemic forms that oppression can take, but for the moment, all of its energies are occupied with the blatant, the overt, and the direct. I speak with Poppet about the many different kinds of work he's been part of to oppose bigotry and oppression, and about the threads that link them all together.
1: My name is Intias Poppet. Growing up, queer Muslim, the world has really affected me in a profound way, and, and I, I do my activism through what I do. I'm a therapeutic counselor. I'm coordinator of Salaam Kremerslam community here in Vancouver, which is part of Salaam Canada. And I'm part of a two-spirit LGBT people of color alliance. The alliance is just one form of my activism that I bring together. i am also started the course against Bigotry here in the Pacific around white supremacists and so on. So all these kind of work that I'm doing along is building alliances with LGBT to spirit people of color communities is all related in political work in terms of fighting for justice and equality.
0: How did Salam queer Muslim community get started in Vancouver?
1: In Vancouver, it was at the turn of the new century around that time. I had gone to a conference in New York, which was kind of a beginning of a queer Muslim movement called Al-Fatiha, and when we came back to Vancouver, we started a chapter of Al-Fatiha. But a lot of people had problems with that name because they felt it was too religious. We came up with a different name, which is a variation of Salam. But Salam had already started in Toronto in the 90s and actually went dormant because of hate-mongering within the Muslim community against LGBT and threats and so on. But after that conference in New York, it revived itself in Toronto. So Salaam in Toronto was revived. We were organizing in Vancouver, and then we sort of came together and saying, hey, let's build a Canada-wide organization, which became known as Salaam Canada today. So I coordinate the Vancouver chapter of that.
0: Why is it important to bring queer Muslims together into an organization?
1: That's a really good question, because we're not really a religious organization. The idea is that those of us who are raised Muslim with Muslim sensibilities culturally and so on, need an affinity group that we can relate with because the larger queer community doesn't understand us or how we intersect with the world, our reality, how we deal with family, how we deal with culture, and create that support. So there was that need of cultural competence, as it were, for people. And a lot of our members and supporters are like Christian Arabs, right? But they relate to us because we have a common culture. So it's not specifically based. After that, a more religious-based group has also started called the Unity Mosque in Toronto, and we have one here in Vancouver as well, which is more religious-based, which would actually, you know, have religious practice. But Salaam is anybody who identifies as Muslim culturally, politically, or religiously, or otherwise, is a support group for people. Particularly after 9-11, there was a need for us to come together with a Muslim identity, and that's what Salaam is.
0: What kinds of things do Salaam chapters do?
1: We're growing chapters all over Canada now, and different chapters had different needs. Some chapters are actually more overtly political, some are more social, some are more support. So there is a need for basic support, there's also a need for advocacy, and there's also a need for cultural competency. So there's a variety of things that we do, depending on the need of the membership is at the time.
0: And what about in Vancouver? What have Salam's activities looked like there?
1: We started first as a support group and we used to have monthly socials and so on. And we don't do that as much. We have more seasonal socials now, but we are doing more advocacy around queer Muslims within the LGBT community when it comes to racism and things like that. And we also do support for LGBT newcomers, also sometimes one-on-one support or specific casework to help them.
0: Tell me more about that support work with lgbt newcomers
1: i do that quite a bit and largely came out of supporting members of salam many of them from different countries whether it was malaysia or pakistan and so on and also because i'm a therapeutic counselor my work for lgbt newcomers is not just muslim specific anymore also i'm from africa right so i mean there are these boundaries that cross so many Muslims maybe from Africa, but there are maybe many LGBT Africans who are not Muslims. So that doesn't matter to me. I mean, I just do a lot of this work. And that's largely where the alliance came from too, because the work I was doing was going beyond the Muslim sphere. So there was a need to outreach and network with other LGBT two-spirit and of color organizations to do an alliance to advocate against racism in the larger LGBT community. I mean, there's an intersectionality in everything we do, because even among queer Muslims, some of us are South Asian, some of us are Black, so there's an intersectionality there. We have been working in alliances with other LGBT organizations around common struggles that we've had even racism within LGBT communities, which is largely where the alliance comes from. And a lot of the work around what happened with Black Lives Matter and police and pride and things like that, that's why some of the things we came around talking about racism within our community. Back in the 90s, I used to write for Angles magazine, which predates Extra's extension here in the West. And I wrote a editorial piece called Racism and Queerdom, which I got a lot of flack for. So I think, I mean, that's basically what we're dealing with. When you deal with intersectionality, if you're an LGBT queer person, you're dealing with multiple levels of oppression, right? Whether it's racism or heterosexism or transsexism and so on. It's all interconnected.
0: What are some of the ways that racism manifests within the LGBTQ community? And what has anti-racism in that context looked like in Vancouver in recent years?
1: It's very sometimes overt, sometimes insidious. There is a lot of goodwill there to accommodate, but there's a lot of ignorance as well. That's why we need to come together as to spirit people of color organizations within the LGBT community to do advocacy around our issues. It's similar to what's been happening in Toronto, the debate around police and pride and so on in support of the work that Black Lives Matter has done.
0: Uh, briefly, Black Lives Matter Toronto and then Black Lives Matter Vancouver and Black and other anti-racist activists in other communities advanced the idea that given the well-documented danger that police represent for Black people in particular, making pride safe and welcoming for Black queer and trans people means not having police participation in the event.
1: The alliance is in support of what Black Lives Matter was doing to as queer Muslims and other Queers of color, into spirit, people needed to come together in an alliance in support of the leadership that Black Lives Matter had given around issues of racism within Pride, particularly around police and Pride, which became an issue here in Vancouver as well. And that was one of the impetus of coming together in an alliance to say that we need to work together. We need to speak with one voice or at least supportive voices to support what different organizations are doing and also support the leadership of Black Lives Matter.
0: Talk more about how that specific struggle around police in Pride and the other demands from Black Lives Matter played out in the Vancouver context.
1: The leadership came from Black Lives Matter in Toronto when they confronted Pride about having police in the Pride parade. Similarly, that's happened here with Black Lives Matter challenging the police presence in uniform in Pride, which became a big, hot issue, and we saw and we felt that Black Lives Matter was being isolated and people felt it was just only a Black Lives Matter issue. And we wanted to show that it wasn't just a Black Lives Matter issue, that we agreed with that, we supported what they're doing, and then that was a real issue for a lot of us, including LGBT, Two-Spirit, and largely a lot of trans folks who are even white supported the whole idea, experience that we shouldn't have police in pride because you know (laughs) they are oppressors, they have never apologized, and their oppression in our communities whether of color or queer, continues. So that became a big, big discourse here in Vancouver, which became largely the work of our alliance in support of the dialogue that was going on with Black Lives Matter. And I think the issue for us was to make the discussion broader and wider and to show that there was support for what Black Lives Matter was saying. And it wasn't just an issue for Black Lives Matter. It was an issue for all of us. This is why the Alliance came together. We tried to create alternate space for two-spirit LGBT queers of color and having like an alternate Pride safe space. People didn't feel safe going to Pride. We had our own Pride events in the East Side. Then Black Lives Matter decided to have their own march. We supported that as well. So we've been trying to negotiate and work within our different communities to say, hey, how do we feel about this? How do we work together? How are things around racism affect us? And so on. So the visibility issues of our visibility, our inclusion of pride. What does pride look for us? What kind of pride do we need? How do we feel safe within pride? This is the kind of discourse and dialogue we've been having as an alliance.
0: What kind of events did you have in the alternate pride that you organized?
1: We had a march in the downtown east side, and then we had cultural performances at the Carnegie Center. We had a march that ended up in a park and then had a a round circle. And then Black Lives Matters having marches, March on Pride down Davies Street, which goes through the heart of the village, the community, whereas the Pride parade goes more around it. So, you know, we've been saying that, you know, this is not an alternate, but this is an addition for where Pride started. You know, it was actually started with, you know, Stonewall.
0: Uh, That's a reference to the multi-day uprising in 1969, led by patrons of the Stonewall Inn in New York City, particularly queer and trans people of color, in response to police violence, harassment, and intimidation. This is widely credited with being the spark that lit the modern gay liberation movement, and the range of movements and struggles that have followed from it.
1: And it was led by trans women of color who started, many queers of color who started part of that and that's been forgotten and that's been forgotten in the current Pride so we were trying to reframe Pride in the way it should be rather than as a celebration of floats and corporate entities and police presence which is not what our idea of Pride is. One of the problems we've had with Pride here in BC is that originally the Pride Parade used to be on the BC long weekend Monday. And the Pride Society, many years ago, decided to move it to the Sunday to attract more Americans. And that caused a problem with queer Asians because there's another festival that happens here the same weekend called the Powell Street Festival, where a lot of queer Asians have been involved. And that goes on the Saturday and Sunday. So now by moving the Pride Parade to the Sunday, there's a big clash that that was created. And a lot of queer Asians at that time spoke out and were completely ignored. So a lot of Queer Asians do not participate in Pride at all because they're involved with Pile Street Festival. So when we start creating other events on the Monday, like a, a march or other cultural events and things like that, a lot of the Queer Asians said, hey, at least now we can celebrate our own Pride. We can have a Pride. This last year, there was a Chinatown Pride where a lot of Queer Asians were there and saying, this is wonderful. We're actually able to have a space where we can celebrate pride because we're not able to be part of the mainstream pride. So that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to create these spaces where people are not able to be part of pride because who they are because they're racialized. They may be queer Asian or queer black folk or two-spirit folk who may or may not be included in pride. So We want to create an alternate space and our own celebrations of pride so people can celebrate pride and feel that we're part of a community.
0: And tell me more about the membership of the Alliance.
1: Again, it's organizations like Salaam, Black Lives Matter, working together, Pinori Pride, Queer Asians, Two-Spirit Communities, coming together in this exchanging information. Nowadays, we're kind of supporting each other's events and advocating for more anti-racist work. And yeah, that's what we do as an Alliance is an alliance. It's not an organization, it's basically an alliance where we support each other in the work we do.
0: So I know that the demand around police in Pride got the most media attention, but at least in the Toronto context, a lot of the Black Lives Matter demands were actually about getting Pride resources for specifically queer and trans, Black, Indigenous, and people of colour events and spaces. Was that part of what happened in Vancouver as well?
1: Yeah, so the Pride Society hired someone to do outreach for black and people of color, 2 communities. And they've been trying to create funding for alternate Pride events and spaces. They're trying to do their best. And it has lukewarm response. Some people are participating, some people are not. There's still some resistance from the POC, two-spirit communities. Mm-hmm. There's no trust. I think that largely the criticism is that we're not being included in the decision-making. They have the power to decide and they're giving us crumbs, basically. And now the most recent decision was that Vancouver Police Department can participate in Pride without uniform, which sits well with some people, but not with others, right? which is one of the demands of Black Lives Matter, that we do not want to see police in uniform. So Pride has made kind of a quasi-decision that they are allowing some uniform, but not all uniform. And it's not very clear what their position is. So there's still not a lot of trust. And a lot of people just still don't feel comfortable in a very white mainstream Pride and a lot of queerations can't go because Pride years ago decided that the queerations weren't important and decided American tourists more important to move Pride to Sunday, where a lot of us cannot participate.
0: So one piece of broader context that seems relevant to any anti-racism or anti-oppression work happening in the last few years is the intensification of overt and organized white supremacy. How has that impacted your work?
1: The whole stuff around Police and Pride and the Alliance came, I think, around the same time or if not before the rise of white supremacy and so on. So three years ago, I worked together to put together a coalition against bigotry, And it was actually three years ago this month because we had the KKK organizing here in Metro Vancouver, leafleting and organizing. And I had made a documentary many years ago called Hate and Kill was about a murder of a caretaker in the sick here in Surrey by five white supremacists went in there and killed the caretaker. So I show the documentary to show the context so that this is not a new issue, but it's back on the rise, it's elected Trump, right? It's not because of Trump, it's that, that whole rise of white supremacy feeling that's elected Trump and that's also here in Canada, it's not just a U.S. thing. The soldiers of Odin and other groups have risen here since then, and we've been organizing about about that. And the reason we call it Coalition Against Bigotry is that there was an organization way back in the 70s that fought against racism called BC organization to Fight Racism. And my intersectionality as a queer Muslim is that this is not just about racism, it's about bigotry, it's about sexism, it's about heterosexism, transsexism, and that's why we want to call it bigotry. And we do not want to have the name BC because it's a colonial construct, so we call it Coalition Against Bigotry Pacific. But most recently, the hate has targeted our trans community because these transphobic feminists have had these speakers come to Vancouver, like Megan Murphy, who have been speaking in public spaces like the Vancouver Public Library and at UBC and Simon Fraser University. And we have been protesting that and demanding our city government and the Canadian government that why are you allowing for such hate speech in our public institutions? So that's been kind of a new shift in the last year of the coalition's work that we're against hate speech, whether it's against trans folks or against Muslims and so on. So that's been largely our struggle against, you know, any white supremacist groups. Incidentally, white supremacist groups have been supporting the work of these feminists like Megan Murphy. They've been going to their rallies and so on because Megan Murphy is creating hate towards trans folks. Right. And these white supremacists are actually supporting them. So the difference between the work of the coalition against bigotry is it's not focused and based on just indigenous or people of color. It's a larger coalition of people fighting bigotry. So therefore, against, you know, heterosexism, transsexism, it's former bigotry. It brings people together to say that we have a common cause of bigotry and we need to work together to fight that.
0: Tell me more about how the Coalition Against Bigotry Pacific initially formed.
1: Well, again, it was three years ago when the KKK started leafleting again here in Metro Vancouver, and they were organizing. And since then, we've seen the rise of Soldiers of Odin. We had marches for International Day Against Racism where the Soldiers of Odin would attack and surround us, and the police would protect them or not do anything. In fact, at one rally, the Soldiers of Odin attacked us, the police arrested them momentarily, and then released them just as our rally was finishing so they can then intimidate and harass us as we went home. So there has been a lack of police against these white supremacists where the RCMP and the police actively target Muslims. And there's a Muslim couple in Vancouver that was entrapped by the RCMP as terrorists. Yet we have white supremacists who are not being treated as terrorists. Bissinet who murdered six people in a mosque three years ago, the anniversary is coming up, January, was not charged with even one act of terrorism or hate. Uh,
0: That refers to the white nationalist who massacred Muslims at a mosque in Montreal in January 2017.
1: Yet Muslims are being entrapped and are being victimized as terrorists. We have an anti-terror act in this country that does not apply to white supremacists. And so now we're also seeing this new phase of so-called feminism that's become transphobic, which has also become a large portion of the work of the coalition as well. So these things are kind of tying in together. The work of the coalition is basically to fight against hate propaganda and hate speech of any form, whether it's be transphobia, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, or anything like that. We're now campaigning Vancouver City Council to proclaim January 29th as a day against Islamophobia to mark the third anniversary of the Montreal Mosque massacre. And we're also demanding that all our governments take action against hate speech. Hate propaganda or hate speech was not even an election issue. I mean, Jagmeet Singh said, oh, we need to have love and courage, but there's no action by any government that deals with the overt rise of hate propaganda and hate speech, which targets All of us, you know, including queer communities and racialized communities.
0: So in the work that the coalition does, how do you draw the connection between the overt instances of hate, like the overt white supremacy, the overt transphobia, and so on, and the more insidious and systemic racism and transphobia and sexism and other oppressions that organize our lives and our
1: communities? The overtness, you can point to it, you can name it. But the covert, the insidious, you can't name it, right? And that's a larger work. Right now, we're so focused on the hate propaganda that's been going on by white supremacists and these transphobic feminists that we know that we have a larger work we need to do around educating people about bigotry. And so, therefore, we need to do anti-oppression training that's been done for many years, but we need to kind of revitalize that and work with communities to do anti-bigotry, anti-oppression work.
0: What are a couple of the key changes around these issues that you would want to see from the respective levels of government?
1: Well, they're not even engaging us, right? I mean, for three years, the Muslim community has asked the federal government to declare January 29th as a day against Islamophobia, and it has yet to do that. The Canadian government has adopted the Zionist definition of anti-Semitism as their policy that criminalizes anybody who criticizes Israel. So their policies have been very pro-Israel. The whole hate propaganda that's been going on, the whole criminalization of Muslims under the Anti-Terror Act, the fact that white supremacists are not being treated as terrorists, the fact that the hate keeps on growing in this country, they passed a motion in Parliament against Islamophobia, but they haven't done anything much beyond that. And we are now seeing the rise of transphobia all in all our institutions, and we have no policies to stop that from happening. So we have complicity from our educational institutions, our political organizations, our governments that are not stopping the rise of bigotry. We meet so many gains over the years in queer rights and racial rights and so on. But that's all being rolled back because of lack of commitment from our governments. That's the work we're doing is trying to raise that and to challenge our governments to do more.
0: What big things are coming up for Salaam, for the Alliance and for the coalition in 2020?
1: We have an ally at Vancouver City Council, Jean Swanson. She's putting forward a motion at Vancouver City Council to proclaim January 29th as a day against Islamophobia. The federal government has failed to do that. The Vancouver City Council actually considered adopting a Zionist definition of antisemitism, which has been put to a committee. So we're trying to push them on that. We've been engaging the provincial government around the rise of bigotry, including transphobia and homophobia and Islamophobia, and their report is just coming around. The federal government has done nothing. The NDP federally has done nothing. Nobody has done anything. The Green Party largely actually fought against, and maybe the NDP against, the anti-terror act, but that was not an issue in this election at all. So we need to raise this issue, the fact that the anti terror law still criminalizes Muslims, and we still have, you know, Islamophobia going on, we still have anti-Semitism going on, real anti-Semitism, and we have transphobia and homophobia still growing in this country. So we have a lot of work to do. You have
0: been listening to my interview with Intiaz Poppet of Salaam Queer Muslim Community, the Two-Spirit LGBT People of Color Alliance, and the Coalition Against Bigotry Pacific. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.